Yes, sir. Good stuff, John. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Welcome to the Focus on Christ podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm John. And we're here on a mission. To help you focus on Christ. So, one of the things that is so key and so critical to uh, this whole journey of life, and especially as it relates to our relationship with God and with His Son, uh, Jesus Christ, is the Bible and how you treat the Bible. Um, I'm going to read to you from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Um, and this is from the uh, NIV. So, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, there you go. Yeah. Been used uh, quite a lot by preachers and sermons mm-hmm. and devotions, Bible studies, to uh, just kind of set forth the Scripture and uh, how amazing it really is. I would say one more thing, and that is that um, uh, we need a Savior, and uh, mankind is lost without one. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the Bible tells us about Christ. That's what it's about, I think, from beginning to end and trying to lead us to the cross. And I think the cross is kind of the central focus and of, of history through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, so if you believed and if you have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, then your life should reflect that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we learn how to live our lives through the study of the Word of God. But John, I think the thing that I'm seeing a lot, you know, in the news and on television, and you even experience it if you're out and about some, is a real secular worldview out there where people don't mm-hmm. believe that the Bible is real. It's not uh, something that's trustworthy, not something that you would certainly base your life upon. And that's what they believe. And the problem with that is uh, then you're void of truth. And then what you believe or what you think becomes your truth. And uh, everybody, I guess, maybe has their own truth. Um, But I believe that we need to uh, think correctly. And uh, the scriptures leads us in how to think and how to look at the world. Uh, Because how you look at things is going to determine then how you live eventually, Mm -hmm. how you live your life, because that's what you believe. So, for instance, I'll give you a for instance. I know this is a hot topic. I know that it's, uh, yeah, you're not afraid of it. I know you're <laughs> a smart guy. You can take it from me when I say this. But for instance, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, discussion and disbelief of the fact that there is actually uh, two genders, that there is male and female. But if you start with the Word of God, and if you look at Genesis chapter 3, Uh, the Bible, I think it's chapter three, the Bible says that he made them male and female. So that pretty well settles it. It doesn't say there's a third or fourth or fifth or numerous Mm -hmm. kinds of genders. There's just male and female. And then uh, I believe in uh, Christian marriage, I believe that that's one man for one woman for the 
entire life, and I get that from the scriptures. I believe that there's one people. I believe that we came from basically one couple. Their name was Adam and Eve, and uh, there's just one people. And you look every day on TV and you see so many people screaming about racism and accusing people of racism for every little slip up in something they might say. And it's so, uh, so difficult to know exactly what to say anymore without being accused of something that you don't mean. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what I'm saying. So the way you look at it determines, you know, how you're going to, how you're going to live your life. I believe in the sanctity of life. Uh, I've heard a political commercial that places abortion uh, or uh, what, what, what you would term as um, uh, sanctity of life or, or uh, they call it anti-abortion, okay. to put the negative on it, um, is a negative thing. Oh, he voted for that, you know, and it's like, how could he possibly vote for He's such an extreme right-wing person. Well, the reason... I don't believe in abortions because I believe that every baby begins life in the womb. And I get that from the scripture. So it sets the way you view the world and it sets the way you then live your life. So I'll just start kind of with that. Sure. That's where my mind was thinking. I, I, I agree with that. Let me, uh, let me read another verse here because... This is also in 2 Timothy, just backing up a chapter to 2 Timothy 2 and uh, verse 15. Um, in fact, I'm going to read at verse 14. <laughs> Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Um, you know, when I grew up, the translation I remember said, who rightly divides the yeah. word of truth. King James, probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably <laughs> so. And, uh, you know, part of the question for me with that is... Um, you know, how do we do that? How does that translate? What, is, what does it mean? Um, because, you know, I hear what you're saying about the truths and what the scripture is saying. At the same time, um, we've got to understand, you know, that when the Bible describes itself and says that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, okay, um, that weapon's not really for cutting down people, um, but it's it's for cutting down mistruths, untruths, um, you know, things that are wrong. Um, and I'm not saying that I agree with, you know, the folks who are on the other side of the arguments that, that you just mentioned. Um, but my heart is with those people. You well, know sure, what I'm saying? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, and absolutely. Right. And, and I understand the person. Right. And I think all of us, um, you know, fall short when we stand up against Scripture. And that's kind of the point because 
like you said, everything centers around Jesus and his coming and his crucifixion. Um, he didn't just pay for the sins of the big time sinner. He paid for all of our sins because we're all big time sinners. sinners. Well, do you know when when devil the devil came to Adam and Eve in the garden, mm -hmm. uh, disguised, I guess, or in in disguise of, as a serpent, a talking serpent? Um, do you know what he hit first to break down uh, Eve and uh, eventually led to her? And Adam's sin was the Bible, mm -hmm. the Word of God. Because the first thing he said was, he said, um, God did not actually say you would surely die. You know, God said, here's a tree and you are not to eat of the fruit from this tree. And if you eat of the fruit of the tree, then you will die. That's what God said. Mm -hmm. First thing that the serpent does is he attacks God's word, what God mm -hmm. said. God said, if you partake of this tree, you will surely die. He said, you will not surely die if you partake of the tree. So that was a lie. And that was a, that was a fatal flaw that happened to Eve because when she believed that when Adam agreed with her and believed that as well, they partook of the fruit, they disobeyed God, what did it set in motion. It set um, all of the ills of this world. Mm -hmm. it, it brought death. And death is our enemy. The Bible talks about death is not our friend. Death is our enemy. I mean, right. that's, you know. That, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. I don't think anybody that. could disagree with no. that. Um, so uh, he, he attacks the Word of God. And now we've got all these problems because of sin. We have all these problems. Um, Name a problem, whatever the, whatever it is that you could name. And I would say eventually it goes back to sin. We really only have one problem. Mm -hmm. The one problem is sin. So if you attack that, then uh, the other problems, so so speak, in the world look differently, take on mm -hmm. a different feel because uh, that's the way you're viewing it through the lens of God's word and through the power of the spirit of God in your life. And um, then I believe that life is then better. And that's what I want for the people who are on what, what you said was the other side. You're on the other side as far as your belief system, but you're one people. Uh, you're still a part of humanity and you need to be loved and you need grace and you need mercy, you need understanding and all those things, right? And right. patience and, and all those things. We need to make sure that we're approaching uh, people that we would call sinners, <laughs> we need to remember, you know, who we all are. But uh, the cross was the fundamental thing that God used in order to take care of sin. So what it took for God to take care of sin was the death of his only begotten son. And uh, that is uh, the central focus, I think, of our lives is to realize that it is the cross. Mm -hmm. And give you kind of bring this up to you how about this um there's a scripture let me read one in first uh, corinthians chapter one and beginning of verse 18 it says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god 
So as I speak about the cross, some people might say, that's, that's folly, that's foolish. Why is he talking about that? But the Bible says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly or foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. How can God be foolish? That kind of struck, struck me funny. The first, I remember a long, long time ago when I was young, reading that for the first time or hearing that for the first time, the foolishness of God. And I thought, wait a minute. I'm, I thought God was perfect. God was holy. What is the foolishness of God? But it's in comparison to man's wisdom. God's foolishness is greater than the wisdom of man. Uh, I'll give you some of the foolishness of God. Maybe you can add a couple of stories mm -hmm. to it. Uh, for God to come to um, uh, Abraham and to say to Abraham, Abraham, I, wanna, I want you to pack up all your stuff, get all your family, and I want you to take off and I want you to go into the desert. Well, okay, that's foolish. Mm -hmm. If I don't know where I'm going and I'm taking my whole family and everything I have, that's not a real smart thing for me to do in my wisdom my human wisdom, but that's God's foolishness. And what he did through that was he brought Jesus Christ into the world through the line of Abraham, through David, through those people. Moses, take Moses. He says to Moses, what? He says, uh, you know, Moses was told to go back and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharaoh, and he's going to Pharaoh. He takes 2 million people out of Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea, Pharaoh changed his mind. He's got all his soldiers chasing after him. And God says, walk toward the, the sea with your staff held high. Mm -hmm. And so he walked and held the staff high. And lo and behold, the Red Sea parted. So the foolishness of God was Moses, raise your staff and walk into the sea. Well, that's foolishness, right? Mm -hmm. To humanity. Take Noah. That's one of my favorites. You know, God said, build an ark. You know, remember the old... Comedian said, what's an ark? You know, well, there's going to have rain. Well, what's, what's rain? We're in the middle of a desert. You know, well, build an ark. It's a boat. Okay. Uh, in the desert with no water. Okay. Well, to me, that's foolishness. Took them 100 years, about 5 million pounds of wood and, you know, this huge boat. But once again, the foolishness of God is... Uh, folly to man, but just think what it is. And I think another favorite is Joshua. Think about those guys. Mm -hmm. It says, every day I want you to walk around the, the city walls. And on the seventh day, I want you to take drums and trumpets and blow them and beat the drums and yell to the top of your lungs. And uh, the walls will fall down. And lo and behold, they did it. And they thought what was foolishness, how dumb. But when they did it, obedience to God, the walls fell down and they conquered. So what is the foolishness of God? Well, the foolishness of God is sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And probably the greatest foolishness of all, I'm going to send my son and he's going to be born of a woman. 
and he's going to become a man and he's going to be a carpenter and he's going to walk the earth. He's going to teach and heal and minister and he's going to die on a cross and I'm going to resurrect him again one day. Well, that's foolishness to people in the world. And they look at that and they say, well, that's, that's, but the foolishness of God is the wisdom of the world because it is through the death of Christ yeah. that we are saved. So, yeah. There's greater than the wisdom. Of greater God. than yeah. the wisdom of man. Yeah. There's so many stories and examples yeah. Yeah. of that. Um, I was just talking about this yesterday about, uh, I think his name was Naaman, the yeah, general. the one that dipped himself. Right, and he, he goes to see Elisha, the prophet, because they said, yeah. you need to go see this prophet of God because he was a leper and he wanted to be healed from his terrible disease. So they go to talk to Elisha and he's expecting, you know, <clears throat> this reception because he's a big time leader oh, yeah. and, and uh Elisha sends his servant out to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. And the servant says, um, yeah, he says, um, <clears throat> you know, go, go wash yourself seven times in the, in the Jordan River. See ya. <laughs> and, and uh, of course, Naaman's like, what? I, I came all this way. I'm expecting this prophet to like do something. And then his servant says, um, what, what's it going to hurt to try? I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but let's do it. And I so mean, he I'm does. thinking dip one time, two times. This is getting ridiculous. Yeah, or like, and why the Jordan River? Why yeah. not? It, but, yeah. but anyway, he did it, and then he's cleansed. Okay. So here's the thing that it you know, doesn't make a lot of sense to us. It certainly didn't make sense to him. He was prepared to go home and deal with his leprosy. But his own servant, just like the servant who came out and told him, the servant says, no, let's just try it and see what happens. Um, over and over, uh, examples through scripture of things that, that honestly on the surface just don't make sense. Hmm. Um Here's here's an example for you. And this is, to me, getting down to more of the, okay, why should I believe this stuff if it doesn't make any sense? Okay. Um, you know the story about Peter when he's imprisoned. Okay. Herod puts him in prison yeah. and um, he's, you know, planning to execute him because he saw that when they beheaded James, the brother of John, that it made the, the Jewish leaders happy. Mm. And, you know, he, he's a politician. He wants to make the, those folks who are in power and influence happy. So he imprisons Peter. And, uh, of course, the people pray and Peter gets... Is this in Acts 3? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but here's the thing. I mean, God could have saved James too, right? Yes. Right. Yes. He could have saved, saved James as well. Um, so Peter's in prison. What, what's he got to do to get out of prison? You know, basically all he's got to do is renounce this fraud. Right. You know, oh, it's all made up. Now, here's the guy who, before Jesus died, he rejects him three times. Oh, you know, you're, you're one of the Galileans. You were with this guy. 
I tell you the truth, I don't even know this man. Three times he denies him, okay? Well, what's different now? What's different now is he's seen the resurrected Christ. He's experienced it and, and the Holy he's received the, the <laughs> gift of the Holy Spirit. He can't refute it anymore. He can't deny it. Here's a guy who's lived through all of it, seen all of it. Um, one of the 12 that's with him has been murdered for holding that belief. All he's got to do to save himself and say, yeah, yeah, no, no, we all made, we made that up. None of that stuff happened. But what happens is all of those disciples, all of those apostles were martyred for holding on to that truth till the, for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. John was the only one that was not murdered. spared. Yeah, not murdered, but, but exiled. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that by itself is very convincing for me. And then you've got people that would say, oh, well, yeah, but that's all made up. Well, how many things do you have to make up for this to make sense? Um, and I think we've hurt ourselves um, over the decades and centuries by sort of cartoonishly diminishing some of the great stories of our faith. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, as adults, we don't talk a whole lot about the creation story. We don't talk a whole lot about, um, you know, Noah's Ark and and Moses and the Red Sea and stuff. Those are all like Bible stories that you teach the little kids. Well, the problem is the Sunday school style version of all this stuff is like watching a cartoon. Okay, Noah's Ark wasn't a cute little boat with a bunch of cute little animals. No, this was the destruction of the world and the salvation of mankind through eight people that God spared on this on this boat. Um, that's not a children's story. You know, the parting of the Red Sea, that is not a children's story. You know, the children of Israel went through on dry ground. And then what happens? Well, Pharaoh's army comes and follows behind, and they get swallowed up by the sea. And now you've got the however many hundreds of thousands or millions of people that are over here. And guess what? They're going to run out of food real quick. You know, back to the whole idea of the foolishness of God and how it exceeds man's wisdom. Because, you know, we, we can't do anything without planning or we're going to meet disaster. Um, Now, the people couldn't see God's plan. But here you are. You're on the other side of the Red Sea now. What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? God supplies those needs. Mm -hmm. And and the the other thing that's demonstrated over and over and over again through Scripture is um, God works the best and the biggest when we're at a point of desperation. And I think part of the problem with, with our faith um, in the U S today is um, well, we're not really in any kind of point of desperation here. 
we're more in a point of how do we preserve our comfortable life? Yeah. And and I think that that, that time is coming when we are going to be in a, a bit of desperation. Our brothers and sisters around the world are already there. I mean, what do you think it's like right now to be a Christian oh, yeah. in Palestine? Yeah. Okay. And there's probably more persecution happening to Christians today than ever before. Sure. If you if you're a Palestinian Christian and you're in the Palestinian territory, mm-hmm. you basically have to work for other Christians or for a foreign entity. Okay? That's why when you go to Bethlehem, um yeah, the, the people, Jewish go- uh, the, the people, tour tour guides or, can't go in. Right, but the people who are selling you um like nativity sets right. and all that that's that's basically what they can do because they can't get a job doing right. anything else. Right. Because the first thing they do when you when you go to, to get your employment, okay, or you're filling out an interview, they ask to see your driver's license, okay? Well, that's not that big of a deal here. I mean, it's got your terrible picture and it's got your address and your driver's license number, okay? But in the Palestinian territory, as your ethnic you have background. to put your religion oh. on your identification. And they look at that and see that you're in the 8% that are Christian. We'll, we'll call you. You never get the call back. Um, that's what it's like under normal circumstances. But imagine now, now, um, and I didn't mean to go off on this tangent. It's just coming into my mind. But but imagine now what it's like to be a Christian there. Because you've got Christians here that are voicing with Israel, hey, and, and let's do something about the Palestinians. You know, and, and they're not talking about stopping with Hamas. You know, I'm seeing tweets or whatever they call them now that are basically calling for genocide. And it's like, that's wrong on any side, period. But you can't lump all those folks into a group and and treat them as subhuman. No. Um, and, and on both of those counts, right. the scripture uh, gives us the answer. The answer to genocide is obviously, you know, love others, the the, be a good neighbor, the good Samaritan, whatever story you want to find in there, you'll find it. And uh, I think a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever been in a pretty strong discussion with someone self-described atheist. I have several times. And uh, what what typically uh, is wanted to be done is to get you away from the Bible, take the Bible away. Sure. And a lot of Christians will allow that to happen. Well, you, I can't even get into a, a viable discussion with you if I don't have the Bible. Because all I've got without the Bible is just my thoughts, and those are so foolish and you know ignorant, I, I can't even talk to you. So what I do instead is I, I question them about why do you not believe in the Bible? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and go that way. Well, have you studied the Bible? Did you know this is what the scripture says? 
uh, where is your hope? And begin to question them about life without the Bible instead of allowing them to take the Bible away. You know, typically they will get to the place where they will say, well, you're intolerant and you have a lot of hate speech. I said, well, why do you say that? Well, because you see there's only one way. I said, and we are the people who allow everyone. And, you know, I said, well, no, you don't. Well, yes, we do. We're very tolerant. I said, no, you aren't. You're, you're more intolerant than I am. What do you mean? Well, you're intolerant against me. And it's proven by this discussion. And so the scriptures, you know, you have to go to the scriptures. Um, anyone who calls themselves a Christian that wants to do any kind of genocide, uh, I would really have to question through their fruit the validity of their salvation sure. because, you know, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost for Christ loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son uh, so that people might believe in him to eternal life. Uh, he did not come. He doesn't wish that anyone should perish, but all come to repentance. You know, you have to know that God loves us to him. And uh, we need to be loving and not uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Uh, it's not up to us to repay. And when anyone stands up and does a Christ-like thing, which what he did was he opened not his mouth but allowed the hatred and the vitriol and the hate speech and all of that to crash down upon him so that he could then die for our sins, for our feelings of genocide or whatever sin is within us. And I know that from the word of God, so I can't enter into any of these discussions without this right here. First uh, Corinthians one twenty five said, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God's uh, God is stronger than man's strength. Stronger than man's strength, his weakness. God is not weak. He is not foolish. What's weaker or more vulnerable than a child born in a cave? Yeah. That's actually probably what the stable was. Yeah. And that day was a cave. Not, yeah. Not the picture of the little... Wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, uh, the scripture doesn't say there was no room in the inn. It says there was no room for them in the inn. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean what I'm implying, uh, which is why the for them? There was mm -hmm. no room for them, for them in the inn. Um, it could be that there was just no room, period. Maybe he didn't want to mess with a pregnant girl. But the for them maybe, part, you, you know, maybe he it, was. It may have been that. Yeah. Uh, it may have been a, an issue of space. The other thing is, you know, this is the city of David, and the reason Joseph went there is because it says when they're doing the census to go to your city, basically go to your people. So, what that means is, hey, this is home. You're going home. What happens when you go home? You're going to stay with, I mean, especially in the smaller community. Stay with family, and, friends. Exactly. Well, what happened to Jesus when he went home? Right. And preached who he was. Yeah. Told them who he was. Yeah, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the wisdom of the world. That's that mindset. If you look through those glasses then you're going to see 
your own vengeance, your own wisdom, your mm -hmm. own truth. And the end of that is is foolish because it's not life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something to you know anybody that might be watching this um, who's just in fierce disagreement with, with what we're saying. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not here to convince you of anything, and I'm not here to, you know, beat you up with my truth or whatever. No, but I would just ask you to be honest with yourself as to why you don't want to entertain the idea of believing in God or accepting that Jesus Christ, because I think for a lot of people, it's, it's not an intellectual argument. Um, it's more emotional in it. Right. Maybe there's an emotional barrier that's keeping you from that decision. Um, because I, I can't escape the intellectual reality of the Bible as a historical document that is firmly established. Um, there's not an ancient text that even compares. And so, and the historical figure of Jesus, there's too many extra biblical accounts and things that place him in time. And even, um, you know, some profound and well-known atheists will tell you, oh, yeah, Jesus was, you know, born in Israel, in Bethlehem, and uh, he lived and died. He was a real man. Um, and so the problem then is that leaves you with a ton of questions that it, it really comes down to what what. J.R.R. Tolkien said to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is always credited with this, but it was Tolkien who actually said it to him. And that was, when you're faced with Jesus Christ, you've got a choice to make because he's either a lunatic or a liar or he's Lord. He's either who he said he was, he's flat out lying, or he was just a crazy man. You can't say, oh, he was a good teacher, or he was a philosopher. Because he said, I am God. Yeah. And if he said, right. I am God, and he wasn't, then he's a liar. And there are people who would argue that he didn't say that. But I got to tell you, when he is confronted by the chief priest, and he, and he says, I tell you the truth you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. They knew exactly what he was talking about. He was quoting from Daniel, and he was calling himself the Son of God. And at those words, the chief priest tore his robes and said, this man's committing blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. And so Pharisee, all of us... When the Pharisees said to him, are you greater than our father Abraham? He said, oh, yeah. before Abraham was, I am. And he said the I am statement of God to know Moses on the mountain. Who shall I say sent me? Say I am, Jehovah, Yahweh, you know, 
the, the Lord. So, yeah, right. I, and he said, I and the Father are one. You know, he said many things that, to me, are just absolutely convincing that he he claimed to be God. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he can't be a good teacher then if he's, if he's not. All right. Jack, that's some heavy stuff right yeah. there. <laughs> um, you know, guys, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, the, the bottom line to me is this, that if you trust in him, that that accomplishes something that your wisdom, your knowledge, your goodness cannot accomplish, True. and that's salvation. True. And so if you don't want to try him for any other reason, um, be saved, have mm-hmm. salvation, and find in him a reason for living. Yeah. And, and yeah. And don't take our word for it. By any means. I mean, I'm no expert. Um, I'm, I'm not a theologian. Um, not that that would mean anything one way or the other. But read this book and um, pray. Ask God to speak to your heart. I mean, if he's real, he's going to reach out to you through these words, through his Holy Spirit. I don't have to do anything to convince you. Um, he can convince you himself, and he'll do it. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, I think next time, let's talk about bad theology more from the standpoint of how Christians get it wrong, rather than with the secular sure. worldview. Guys, we'll see you next time.